This morning message um, is titled, Will You Be Silenced? One of the things that we need to understand as the church, as God's people, is we are either for Christ or we are against him. We, we are not in the position to stand around and see what happens. Um, this is actually war that we are engaged in. And if you don't know that, you need to know that today. One of the disturbing trends that we see, and we see it demonstrated particularly on social media, is the desire to document everything. Every single thing in people's lives today are documented. We take pictures of our food. Hey, look what I'm eating. We take pictures of events. We take pictures of people. Um, instead of being fully engaged in the moment, we choose instead to stand back, document it, and show other people what's going on. I'm a foodie. I've said that before. And the only time I take pictures of my food is because uh, I'm a competitive person and it's not uh, what I eat, but what I cook, I will take a picture of and send to my siblings who are chefs in, in their homes and just kind of like, hey, look what I made. Um, so I do things like that. And I also remember uh, how many pictures I've taken of, of my oldest son compared to my two other children. So for some reason, when, when I first became a parent, I thought it was so important to document every moment. So I have many more pictures of Reggie in different stages of his life than I do Mitchell and Gloria because I've decided to live in the moment. But what's even more disturbing than us choosing to document things instead of being there, what's even more egregious is when things occur that we should be participants in or at least responding to the situation, but we don't. Instead, we will document it. And I've seen this time and time again, particularly on social media, and it's so sad. I've seen people fall, and instead of someone helping them, they have their phone out. I've seen people get beat up, and instead of using your phone to call 911, they're documenting it. There is a serious problem with that. Today, um, we're going to speak about the Christian life and how the Christian life is not for spectators. 
The, the Christian life is not a life that, that you watch what's going on from a distance. If, if, if you were a soldier and the guy next to you, instead of being ready, instead of throwing a grenade or shooting his rifle, um, was there documenting what was going on or just kind of standing off in the distance, you would have a problem with that. And, and then if you got injured, instead of him calling a medic, if he chose to take a picture of it, um, there would be something wrong with that. So, so imagine us as believers when we uh, choose to watch activity going on instead of being engaged in it. We have a story in Matthew chapter 26. If you don't mind, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And this is the account of Jesus going before the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, and Peter denying him three times. And that's the account that we're going to read, and we're going to draw some principles from that. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, we're in Matthew 26. I'm reading out of the CSB, and we'll start in verse 57. And it reads this way, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, Two who came forward stated, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him, but I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See now that you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and, and 
And another woman saw him and told those who were, with, who were there, this man was with Jesus of the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you how you are the great redeemer, the great restorer, Lord, that you pick us up when we fall, Lord. Let us never think too highly of ourselves. Let us always recognize our need for you, how you've identified with us and how you called us to identify with you. We place these things in your care. We thank you for your word. We thank you when we read these accounts that we can glean from them and know what you have called us to do, what you've strengthened us to do, and what we must do for your glory. So we lay these things before you, thanking you in advance of what you will do by your word, through your spirit, in us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that we see here is there is a great gap between what Peter thought he would do and what he actually did. We often think more highly of ourselves than we should. We, we imagine ourselves facing situations with the utmost courage. We, we often are, imagine that when something happens and our t integrity is tested, that uh, the outcome will be stellar on our part and that we would be uh, heads and tails over the rest of people. Uh, but when the rubber meets the road, um, does it play out that way um, in our lives? Um, we, we don't always end up uh, doing what we say we're going to do or what we think we would do or how we think we would respond to the situation. And, and we know that from this story because not only did Peter deny Christ three times, first he said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he said, I don't know the man. And then he said with curses, I don't know him. Right? It went higher and higher each time of, of his denial. But remember, when Jesus had said, you're all going to fall away, um, Peter said, I don't care what anybody else does. I won't. Right? It says, then Jesus said to him, tonight, all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, 
I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone else falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then all the, the disciples said the same thing. So obviously there was a big gap between what Peter thought he would do, what Peter said he would do, and when the time came, what Peter actually did. Um, what caused that gap? What, what caused that gap ended up being self-preservation. What, what caused that gap ended up being fear. What, what caused that gap is often uh, how we think we're going to respond to a situation um, and how we respond to it is different. The, the question is, do you, do I, do we um, deny Christ in the public square or even um, when we speak to individuals? Do, do we, uh, can we say that we've been guilty of that? It does not always have to be an outward denial of your identification with Christ. But wouldn't you say even silence or a lack of defense of the gospel, an unwillingness to stand for what is right and what is wrong is also considered a denial of who Jesus is. Oh, just because we have all of these voices speaking loud and being strong in their convictions, calling good evil and evil good, that does not give us the freedom to sit there and do nothing. Again, we are at war. One of the things that we have to understand about um, being at war, it's not those that we are having to confront that we're at war against. Actually, um, we are called to speak, to be bold in our stance because they need to be rescued. So, so we're not at war against them because it's never about people, right? It's about powers and principalities. It's about the world system. As believers, we are called to stand for Christ. Often when we hear this story, we think to ourselves, how could Peter do that? but we do it in so many ways. Like, just think of the scenario for a minute. This 
mock trial is going on, and they're beating Jesus, and they're making accusations, and Peter follows at a distance. And now he's standing around a fire. There could only be one conversation that's going on, and that one conversation is. That was that guy who came into town earlier this week, and and they were yelling and and crying out and singing Hosanna. And and now uh, look at him. That's the one conversation that's happening. And, and, And Peter's standing there. One of the things that we see is he was standing at a distance. He was around other people. There is no way for us to avoid being around the world. There is no way from us avoiding these conversations that will constantly come up. That does not happen. What was he called to do? Um, Should he have said something. He was one that walked with Jesus and watched Jesus perform miracles, speak words of life. Not only was he one of the 12, he was in the inner circle. Often when Jesus called away a couple of disciples, it was James, John, and Peter. Peter was there sleeping next to Jesus. He had a deep intimacy with him. Peter was one of those that when uh, he did not understand what was being said to the general public and he went away with Jesus, he he could ask, "What, what did that mean? So he knew Jesus in an intimate way, as we do. But when the time came, he folded. But one of the things that we have that Peter not yet had was the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. See, we we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So, So we are equipped, and when we sit there in silence, when we refuse to speak on Christ's behalf, that we've been tasked with, that it is our mission to do. Once Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, couldn't shut him up. Not only that, whatever he had to face, he was willing to face. When they told him and showed him, this is going to be your penalty. And now they said, okay, shut up. He said, no, no, no. We have the power of the Holy Ghost. What silences your voice and and my voice in these situations, whether it be sitting around extended family members or people at school, people in the workplace, of these voices that we hear. 
The, the question is, is, is love silent? One of the things my wife always says is, don't love me to hell. We often say, hey, I'm just going to be quiet. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. But the cross is offensive. Uh, not only is the cross offensive, it is also the only salvation. It is the only way which man can be saved. And the Bible tells us wide is the road to destruction. It tells us, enter through the narrow gates, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by your fruit or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Isaiah speaks about how truth is lost in the streets. We are called to be salt and light. Salt is something that preserves. Light is something that exposes the Bible tells us you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No lights no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt preserves and sin rots. Salt has value, and like snowflakes are salt crystals, not one of them are the same. They are all unique. But salt has no value unless it's applied. It's useless if it's not applied. In the same way, light exposes Light gives vision. Light reveals. Light gives direction. We know that Jesus is the light of the world, and he calls us to be light. We are to be glory reflectors. Light exposes the ugliness of sin, but at the same time, Light exposes the glory of God. It is so important for us to walk in that. We cannot sit back and, and accept these things 
in silence while people are marching to hell and we are called to be salt and light. Don't get beat down from the agenda where your voice is silent because it starts out where we're bold in our witness. That's why I like young people and old people because they're just going to tell you how it is. And I, and I love that, right? But we learn like a level of political correctness where it could be damaging to our witness, where we got, well, I'm not going to say that. Well, I'm not going to do that. Meanwhile, people need to hear the truth, and you have it. Not only do you have it, when you are called salt and light, what it means is, no, you have to. You are required. It is a demand that because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, because the blinders of off our eyes that we go out and proclaim God's truth, because it starts with boldness. And then we start to become a little passive. And we allow people to talk, and we don't say anything. We don't stand up. We just kind of accept it. And, 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 and passivity always leads to acceptance. Right? Once we're inundated with this information and refuse to speak, over a period of time, it beats us down when we start to consider what's being said. Wow. And, and we can even start to rationalize while there's some truth to what they're saying. And it is totally against what God has said. We see this in so many areas. Um, so every month, it's like, hey, this is what we're celebrating this month. And, and, and we hear these things, and we see these emblems, and it's in so many different areas. And we just sit there in silence, like that's okay. It's not. They just had this baseball team where some people opted out of wearing an emblem and they scrutinize them to death because what they want you to believe is if you're not accepting my lifestyle, whatever that thing is, then you're against me. No. Love speaks truth. We're required to speak truth in all of these different situations, whether it be gender things, whether it be abortion, whether it be lifestyle and people just doing whatever they want, all kind of debauchery, and we just sit there and like, mm, well, I guess they'll figure it out. Oh, somebody's got to say something. The somebody is us. It's, it's, it's God's people. All of these things that we're even speaking about, what they are, are symptoms of a greater problem. The problem is sin. The problem is people are lost. But God called us to be salt and light, to stand up and to speak to these situations. And it's not to speak just any old way. Second Timothy Chapter 2, starting at verse 24, says, The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, 
able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's what the Bible says. That's what we are called to do. I think one of the bigger problems that we have is where we have these catchphrases or these, these triggers and, and things said and redefinition of terms to shut us down and to silence us, and we cannot be silenced. But it's all about what you identify with what you think about yourself, because there are so many different things that we can identify with, right? One of the um, things that happened is uh, during the um, George Floyd situation, I, I, we were online, we were still having church online, and um, I was the youth um, pastor, and I, I spoke a message that we have on our YouTube channel called Perspectives, from a, Christ, a Christian, a preacher, and a black man. Every one of those things I am. I am a Christian, I am a preacher, and I am a black man. First off, that order that I put, I put specifically that way. Because first and foremost, I'm a Christian. My identity is in Christ before it's in anything else. But I'm also a preacher. That is the vocation, that is the call that God has put on my life. So I cannot ignore that as part of my identity. But I also happen to be a black man in America in a time where there was a heightened um, a view and look at that whole situation. So it's not for me to act like, hey, there's no effect on me whatsoever being a black person uh, with all this stuff going on. That wouldn't be true. But it's not what my main identity is in. And often, whether we have mindsets or thoughts or feelings or confusion about certain things, it cannot come above our identity being in Christ. We are called to speak truth. You can come up, please, Heather. Often, when we hear the scripture that says, Therefore, if anyone who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But anyone who denies me before others, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. When we hear that, we often jump and believe like, hey, that means like I need to make a public declaration that I identify with Christ. And, and then and we allow that to lead us to believe that means I've walked an aisle one day and given my life to the Lord publicly before others. Um, those are jumps that the Word of God 
does not say. We need to be really, really careful when we make those jumps. Like people have said to me, hey, how come you don't have like a lot of altar calls and invite people to give themselves to the Lord? No, I speak about the gospel in every message, calling people to repent and to recognize what Jesus has done on the cross. But often what happens is a person thinks them walking down an aisle, no matter what I'm saying to them, is this is a done deal. Um, can that be the case? It can be an expression of God doing a work in someone's heart and that being the thing for far too many people. Leave that service believing. I'm saved. But you don't see any evidence after that. You don't see them come to church the next week. They're not in their word. And maybe God is doing a work in them. That's for me to say. But if you walk away believing in some false way, I did that, I've identified with Christ, and I'm saved. We could do more damage than good. But you know what this is talking about? Not that one time that Peter denied Christ. It's talking about, do you stand from me, for me? Do you proclaim to others as a lifestyle who I am because of the work that I've done in your heart? If God has done a work in your heart and you know I am saved, I was one who offended God on a regular and he pardoned my sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he can do that for you too. That would be your lifestyle. That will be the thing that would come out of you because you are overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy in your life and you see other people on their way to hell and you say, no, you don't have to do that. Will we be silenced? We have the greatest message for humanity, that the lost can be found, that the blind can have their eyes open, the sick could be healed more than anything else from their sin-sick soul, that they could be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into and rescued brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and walked that out for eternity. We need to leave this place with our minds made up that I will not be silenced. And that does not mean that in every situation that you are called to beat someone over the head with the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. But you always need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You always need to be aware, I am not where I am in whatever situation, a line in the grocery store and they're taking a long time, uh, meeting someone on the street, sitting next to a desk next to someone else by happenstance. No, it's all 
God's design, and we are his instruments. We are his glory reflectors. We are salt and light. And our daily mission is to say, God, how will you use this vessel today for your glory, Lord? Someone spoke to you the words of life, and you were would you not speak to another those same words of life? Would you please uh, stand, church, and allow me to, to pray for you? Father, we, we so thank you, Lord. We thank you that we've seen Peter deny you. And then we saw him stand for you at all costs. Help us, Lord, to be so identified with you. The picture in Revelation says they were saved by the blood of the Lamb and the words of their testimony. It's, it's, it's fine to testify among saints. Our testimony is to proclaim your goodness and your saving grace to a sick and dying world. Would you so put that in us, Lord? Give us a desperate desire to see the lost saved. To speak truth to lies, Lord. To be bold, Lord. To refuse to be silenced, Lord. We recognize what that cross represents. At one time, it represented the cruelest death. And now it represents eternal life for the one that puts their trust in Jesus Christ, turns and repents from their sin. And then you fill that one the promise that you've given them of the Holy Ghost to empower them to go out and to be your witness. Would you so do a work in each one of our hearts, Lord, as we walk out our days, Lord, that we would glorify you by being salt and light. We thank you for what you've done we thank you for that one that heard today and you've taken away the blinders and that they would have a testimony of your goodness. The word says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 says, now may the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. God bless you, church.